What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Bill's Talk with Matt Perino, the brand new every Wednesday night live podcast. We got a nice crowd in here today already in the chat. I appreciate you joining us. We have a packed show today, and we're going to get to it really quick. Uh, my sidekick, as always, Ryan Talbot, bottom left corner. He is here ready and raring to go. And we are joined our first guest up, ESPN's Marcel Louis Jacques, is here to be the best Brandon Bean he can be mock draft the Bills, uh, second and third round pick, my man. How are you? I'm great, man. You know, always happy to bat lead off, uh, try to pretend like I'm an NFL GM. I played a significant amount of Madden in my life. Franchise mode, only front office moves. I don't actually play the game. So let's see if that actually translates to real life. Yeah, it's it's crazy. We've had this like four four weeks now of quarantine, give or take, depending on when you started it. And we were talking about it a little bit offline. Like, you know, we're getting to that point where it's really starting to become a lot. Now, with that said, with the draft finally here, I mean, do you think we've overthought this at all at this point? <laughs> I mean, if that's even possible to overthink a draft, I feel like this is the it's tis the reason for the season right now. This is the, the speculation season, hype season. Rumor season, whatever, you know, superlative you want to throw in front of that. That's this is typical. And and honestly, I think it's brought some sense of normalcy to an otherwise wacky time that, you know, we can obsess over the NFL draft. That's this is what we do. This is who we are. And uh, it's almost surreal to think, wow, come this time tomorrow, we're going to start talking about. The actual draft. We're going to start talking about actual players on real teams. We're going to start speculating real scenarios, not hypotheticals. And uh, it's an exciting time. And uh, this is one of those moments where I think fans and, and media alike can kind of unite over uh, over our same level of excitement. Yes. And so, so you're aware, the exercise that we're going to be going through tonight is we're going to have Marcel leading off the show. We'll have Joe Biscalia next up in the second segment and then John Scott uh, to finish things off. And they're all going to do a mock draft. We're going to bring up the draft network simulator here in a moment. And we're going to go through the picks, kind of talk it out. And then when we get to the pick, we'll figure out uh, which way they want to go. And we're going to get into it quickly because uh, I think these, these picks are, we don't know how long this is going to take necessarily. I've never done this before and the, I'm using the technology so it can get a little bit janky. Uh, but, Going into this draft, Marcel, and, and Ryan, feel free to chime in here as well. What's the mindset on day one? I, a, a couple of weeks ago, we talked to Brandon, and he said he's going to be playing the Stefan Diggs highlights. But what are you looking for? Is there any players that you're kind of at the going into this that you're like, okay, if that guy falls into the top of the second round, we're going to start to you know have some conversations? Well, day one, day one. Um... It would take something, someone significant. It would take like a Caleb on Chazon falling out of the first round or toward the end of the first round, I think, to maybe to even really consider, hey, should we go, should we package a deal together and should we go get this guy? But I think right now uh, they're not in need of instant impact kind of superstar players that you would find or hopeful superstar players you would find in the first round. I think that this roster is essentially set. And they can afford to wait until that 54th overall pick, maybe a little bit sooner. Now, once we get into the second round and players start to fall or players start coming off the board, that's when I think we're going to see Brandon Bean start wheeling and dealing here. But with their picks so far back in the second round and, and with the amount of capital, I think they would have to um, surrender in order to move into day one. I think he's fine kind of sitting on hands and waiting until 
waiting until the second day of the draft. Not to mention with the virtual draft, it's so unknown. And while you know the the test run was apparently smooth after an initial hiccup with the Bengals, I think it would kind of behoove them to kick back and watch how it plays out and and kind of see how other teams deal with it, get a feel for it before diving right in. I think it's kind of an advantage for him, in fact. Yeah, and if anything, I think what he might be doing is, is looking at, especially towards the end of the first round, who's still available, and then maybe start saying, okay, what team should we start contacting after the draft on day one is over to say, what would it take to get up to your pick in round two? What are you looking for? Just so you have that hypothetically worked out in case some player that you really like is there. I don't see them moving from 54 up to 33, 34 by any means. But maybe they, they start contacting those teams in the in the early 40s and saying, if this player is here, um, you know, what's it going to take for us to get up to your pick? Mm-hmm. All right, let's get this thing going here. We are going to try and uh, start this simulator uh, and see if it works. It should be interesting uh, to see. So this is going to be up on the screen now. And like I said, this is the first time we're doing this and we are going to get it started here. Uh, listen, when you do these simulators, you got to be careful. <laughs> you know, Joe Burrow and Chase Young go uh, at the top here. So that's good go. news. Promising. Yeah, it's interesting. Herbert, uh, Herbert's a funny guy uh, or a funny prospect in that if you remember going back into last year, going into the season, I feel like the hype was was still pretty big. In 2019, I remember doing mock drafts uh, where he was the first quarterback coming off the board before he decided to go back to school. So going back to school kind of hurt his his stock a little bit. So it'd be interesting to see how teams truly view these guys. And listen, I thought the Tua stuff was smoke, but the further we get into this and the more you hear, uh, man, I, I Peter King with his mock draft, Tua in the in in the twenty or in the teens uh, with New England trading up, it could be interesting. I just I don't think uh, we, we spoke about it. Uh, a, a few of us on on cover three, the um, the the show ESPN digital show hosted by Dominic Foxworth, where you would almost you kind of want to take that risk of Tua. You'd rather take that risk of Tua's injury history rather than the risk of Justin Herbert not being a star and, you know, not having that high ceiling. Like He's the safe option. Sure. But when he's healthy, Tua is the absolute best quarterback in this draft. I think even if he was had no injury history, he might even push Joe Burrow for that number one pick. And Cincinnati's decision would be a lot more difficult. But, yeah, Justin Herbert, that's another situation where you've got a quarterback who's who's almost a, you know, consensus number one pick who comes back to school and almost hurts his stock. You saw it with with Matt Barkley. You know, if we're speaking of uh, kind of localizing this a little bit. You saw that with Matt Barkley after his his junior year. He looked like the best quarterback in the country, came back, had a pedestrian year at USC and ultimately uh, hurt his draft stock. But even still, it's a relatively top-heavy QB class, and I still think it's a three-man game with Burrow, uh, Tua, and, and Herbert. But, man, just to see that scenario that we just saw in, uh, that we just saw play out, to see him fall all the way to 23, and New England doesn't even have to part ways with any, any picks to get him, that, uh, I think that's, that's staggering. Just so you know, as soon as so, I get this back up, Marcel is going to talk about Brandon Ayuk because that's his guy from Arizona State going at 37. Um, Jeremy Chin, mm-hmm. that's target. Jonathan Taylor, Terrell Lewis, Joshua okay. Uche, the edge rushers are gone. 
So then we okay. arrive here and um, go through here. I, I I know I know where I'm going with this. Uh, I can't hear you, but uh, I'm gonna... all right. Uh, based on what I saw on that board, um, you know they've got a couple basic needs here. Um, starting with you know the least likely for them to actually pull that trigger, uh, wide receiver. Uh, it's still technically, I think, a need. They still, I think, could use a big physical target other than Duke Williams on that roster. But if you're Brandon Bean, which which I am in this exercise, and I just spent my first round pick on Stephon Diggs, I'm probably not going receiver receiver for, to start the draft, given how deep this class is. So we can probably wipe that out. Running back, if it ain't Jonathan Taylor or J.K. Dobbins, then it's a no-brainer to me. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He's a I'm sure he'll be an excellent back. He's a great prospect here. Uh, he's a good value pick for anybody in the second round that needs a running back. But uh, I think that he projects too similarly to Devin Singletary. And we're looking at somebody who can really either who's either going to be that home run threat like Jonathan Taylor and Dobbins can be or just an absolute hammer between the tackles. And I'm not sure that's what I'm giving Edwards Hilaire here. So that's off the board um, line. Consume, it, it needs depth more than more than a, a second round pick. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a, that's a position they could probably address offensive line. Of course, they can address later on in the draft. They don't have to jump this early to do it. I don't think there's a prospect that that's worth number 54 for them. Uh, so that leaves, you know, cornerback, in my opinion, cornerback um, safety, more like a kind of like the big nickel type safety and uh, an edge rusher. And uh, when you look at that board, you saw Jeremy Chin go off the board early and that would flag a little notice if I'm which if I'm Brandon Bean, that flags a little a little trigger in my head to say, OK, the countdown is here for me trying to package some picks and move up because I'm looking at Jeremy Chin. I'm looking at Kyle Duggar. I'm looking at uh, Josh Ushay. And uh, and I'm saying, you know, if these guys start to fall off the board rapidly, I'm cool with any of those picks at 54. If start coming off the board rapidly, I need to decide whether it is uh, prudent for me to move up or if I should cut my losses and move backwards. Luckily here, no action necessary because I, I see my pick at number 54. We're going to go with uh, Kyle Duggar, the safety out of Lenore Ryan, the division two the standout, the physical freak, you know, Isaiah Simmons gets, you know, a lot of well-deserved attention for his physical traits and his versatility in this draft. And he's kind of the crown jewel when it comes to that Jack Swiss Army knife uh, defensive player. But Kyle Duggar and Jeremy Chin, they are right behind him, I think. They're in that next tier. And uh, obviously, since Chin is off the board, Duggar is the pick here. This is a guy who doesn't need to come in and play defense right away or start on defense right away. But I think with his nose for the ball, his athletic gifts, I think he could probably be a special team star, uh, you know, closer to day one than not. And Marcel. he can learn from some of the best at their positions. He can learn from Jordan Poyer, who's going to be in Buffalo for another three years. He can learn from Micah Hyde, learn from Matt Milano, from Tremaine Edmonds, how to play the linebacker and the safety positions. And so he can be that star on special teams, until the day comes where, okay, we've got, we know how to, the Bills say, we know how to use you. We know where you're fitting. We know your gifts. We, you're up to speed with the playbook. This is what we're going to carve out. This is the role we're going to carve out for you. And so that's, um, I think that's just, uh, if, if, 
you know, I'm Brandon Bean right now. I am, I'm kicking back. I'm, I'm wiping a tear of joy off my face. I didn't have to part ways with any of my picks. My guy is here at 54. Kyle Duggar, put it on the board. Marcel, how was, how important is it for the bill? Duggar considering no top 30 visits, no pre-draft workouts yet. This is a, they've done their homework on this guy. They were on campus at least three times this past season. Do you think that could kind of weigh into their decision-making process as well, considering they don't have the typical uh, top 30 visits or pre-draft workouts that they would have in previous years? Absolutely. I think you're going to see, you're, you're going to see one common trait here throughout the draft and that is familiarity. So the team's, the the prospects that got needed visits from uh, from a from a team during the fall, they're probably going to go off the board more than the guys who you know needed to make their impact in the spring. I actually got to speak with Brandon Bean a couple weeks ago and asked him, you know, what kind of impact do you think the the effects of the coronavirus will have on this draft? Are we going to start to see guys? who should be late round picks go early or vice versa. Like what is, what do you think is going to happen? And he told me straight up, you're going to see which teams did their homework in the fall. Kyle Duggar is a guy who they did their homework on back in the fall. And uh, you know, it, it might be a stretch for a division two guy, but anybody that sees him play, anybody that's seen him test, you know, he, he deserves his spot right there. I think if teams could college football could do it over again, I'm not sure if Lenore Ryan is going to end up with Kyle Duggar. I think he probably ends up at a bigger school. Mm -hmm. So moving right along, because we're up against the the time crunch here, uh, some of the options that were still on the board for people listening to this in podcast form, LaVisca Chenault, uh, Michael Pittman, a couple potential options. Trevon Diggs uh, went almost 10 picks later, was on the board. Uh, and T Higgins as well at the top of the, of the third. So a couple targets there as we move through the third round and I'm going to let, I'm going to bring the screen on just so you could see um, as we're moving along in this round, Ashton Davis, Curtis Weaver, somebody Mm -hmm. the edge rushers are going off. Aquara, who I think could uh, last to the bills. With uh, those two edge rushers going off the board in, uh, in Weaver and, uh, Anyway, with Weaver and uh, and Okwara going off the board, I think as soon as Weaver gets picked, I think that's another one of those, you know, those, you know, red flags going in, in Bean's mind to where, OK, it might be time to uh, it might be time to start putting a, a package together to move up and get a guy like Okwara. I think that, uh, you know, at, at a Notre Dame, he's not completely there yet as a as a player i think he's more developmental i think he's more athletic or athlete than, than player right now but um i think the the bills believe in their coaching staff they believe in their ability to develop players and to develop prospects you come here and you be the best version of yourself we hear from sean mcdermott all the time so that's a guy i don't think something they're scared to do i don't think they're scared to develop players right now but you see that you know right on the board jonathan greenard uh, out of Florida, that's a you know that's that's a name to watch here. If we keep scrolling down, Daryl Taylor out of Tennessee. I see Troy Pride out of Notre Dame. Uh, you know, there's there are some interesting names on the board. Guy like Eno Benjamin. Let's go Devils. Never forget. Uh, but I, I see my pick here. <laughs> it was coming. Uh, if you want to scroll back up to the top of the prospect list, obviously we're not taking any of those tight ends. We mentioned before that cornerback is a need for Buffalo. Uh, Tredavious White is who he is. He's an all-pro, Pro Bowl cornerback. You've got a you got a lockdown guy who will probably sign some sort of record-setting deal uh, within the next year and a half. 
that's fine. On the other side, I think you've got a lot of stopgap options. You've got four guys who can start on this roster right now, and that's more than a lot of teams have. But when you're looking at the future, Josh Norman is 31, 32 years old. His best days are back in 2015. I think he's a savvy veteran. I don't think that he's a long-term play here, and that is why he's getting a one-year deal. He still has to prove it. EJ Gaines missed the entire last season. He's missed a lot of games over his career. He's an injury risk, although he is athletically still in his prime. If he can come here and if he can stay healthy, then he does have a good shot at being on this roster long term. But as of right now, I think he's too much of a risk, hence the one-year deal. That brings us to Levi Wallace. That's a guy who, you know, undrafted. He was an exclusive right free agent, almost a given that he was coming back, really held his own, uh, you know, outside of maybe one or two bad games, notably uh, got picked on a bit there in Cleveland. And that tends to stick in people's minds, especially for a position like corner. But, uh, you know, I think he is uh, I, I think he's a better option than people give him credit for. I'm not sure if the Bills are sold on him as the long term starter, which is why they brought in Josh Norman and EJ Gaines. So right here, I think we go develop medic, a guy who is lengthy, a guy who could have went in the first or second round last year if he didn't come back to school. Hurt his draft stock a bit by returning to college and getting hurt. That's why we're going with the 86 overall pick. Bryce Hall, cornerback out of Virginia. Uh, not the most athletically gifted guy in the world, sure, but great head on his shoulders, smart guy. You have to be if you're, if you're getting into Virginia, if you're getting into UVA. Uh, he's a zone kind of corner. Good ball hawk. I mean, you're getting to the point where if you got him, if he develops like he should, if you've got him and maybe his white, on the outside right now, you're taking a risk anytime you throw that ball to the outside. These are both guys who can make plays on the ball, especially with Micah Hyde behind them. I think that's the next step in really solidifying the secondary. Bring in Joe B, try to get this thing. Uh... What's up, my man? What's up, guys? What's going on? Not hey, much. How are you? We are just, uh, we are just the murky waters of technology. <laughs> We're just wading through <laughs> it. Uh, so we got uh, Marcel's Hall here. And uh, pretty good one. Uh, went, went went with uh, a couple of secondary options. I know I know Sean McDermott loves his secondary guys, uh, but a safety in a corner to start this draft, and I think Bills Mafia is going to lose their heads a little bit. But hey, <laughs> uh, value picks. Uh, if if it, if it is the guys on their board, it's the guys on their board. But I want to ask you one question, and we learn from the technical logical thing of this, we can't really do too much small talk. Um, but I wanted to ask you, what's your mindset going into this draft um, when it comes to, you know, we heard Brandon Bean a few weeks ago talk about, okay, we're going to all get together when the second round is going to start or after the first round and figure out, all right, who do we still have a first round grade on? Who's a guy that can maybe last to the second round where your your eyes are going to open a little bit and maybe say, okay, we got we to gotta track this? Well, I think uh, just you look – at positions more than anything and someone that would be available that ha provides a pass rushing flair, I think would definitely be in the conversation at 54 anyway, because that's something that they really have no future plans on right now. They have Jerry Hughes, who's um, at 32, Mario Addison's going to be 33 by the time the season rolls around. And then Trent Murphy's going to be in his thirties and is on the last year of his deal. And then the only other guy that they have rounding out the whole thing is, I mean, you throw Quentin Jefferson in the mix, but he's kind of a hybrid between inside and outside and Daryl Johnson, who is just a late round pick. 
Brandon Bean has not yet invested in a substantial pick in an edge rusher. So if one of those guys start to fall down the board, like let's say, I don't know, Kalevon Chason, let's say he falls out of the first round. Is it is it going to happen? Probably not. But could it? Sure. Especially with the, all the the craziness for cornerbacks currently happening within the buzz of the NFL draft right now. Uh, maybe AJ Epinesa, who isn't really a speed guy, but is someone that maybe they would have considered taking at 22 had they still been there. Uh, and and then outside of them, you look at uh, you look at guys like Josh Uche from from Michigan potentially, even though he doesn't really have the height weight special specifications that they look for usually. Um, and you know, outside of those guys, really, then you start getting into more of your second round guys to where the tiers kind of match up with one another. Cool. All right. So I think I got this all figured out. Um, <laughs> I'm going to uh, get this uh, in here real quick. And let me let me know if you could see uh, the machine here as it runs through the picks. Can you see that? Oh, I can see the machine. I just have to squint at it. Yep. Squint hard, my friend. Squint very hard. <laughs> uh, no, obviously, I mean, we know that we know a general idea of the uh, of the names that are going to come off the board early mm-hmm. in this Um uh, so as we're making our way through and, and it's tough cause this is going to be in podcast form too. So I want to, I want to let people know, uh, some of the names that are going off the board here. Uh, obviously Joe Burrow, Chase Young, Tua and Justin Herbert off the board in the top six. This is, um, you know, as, as in terms of what we've been seeing in mock drafts, uh, obviously that could change with some of the reports about some teams changing their stances or, or maybe being a little bit hotter or colder on certain, certain players. Uh, but we're, you know, a run on cornerbacks here in the first round. And that's something that I think, um, a lot of people are talking about Trevon Diggs as a possibility in the second round. If there's a run on corners early and where you're seeing, uh, you know, Gladney Johnson going, going towards the end of the first round, um, Christian Fulton at the top of the second, he may not last, but as we're going through here, Jalen hurts goes at 44 to the Colts, Terrell Lewis edge rusher, uh, out of Atlanta, uh, goes to Atlanta. Zach Bond, Michael Pittman, Marlon Davis, and Diggs goes at 52, and Duggar at 53. So before I, I ask you who you pick and we, we get into that, um, Chin's still on the board. Is that a is Duggar a name where you're watching where you're willing to move up for? Um, or is he somebody that you know isn't even in consideration? I'll let you take over. Yeah, it's it's convoluted because that's how my brain works. Um <laughs> it's it's more or less about tiers what you view and needs ahead of you now uh in terms of teams that need safeties there's once they get past 41 and maybe even 43 that's where there's a little bit of a safe zone to where they can maybe jump up um between 44 and say 49 as the picks stand right now none of those teams need safeties and you know i got a chance to ask each one of the beat writers over at the athletic okay what would your team be looking at and uh the teams from 44 to 49 do not say safety whatsoever so i think if they were to really want kyle duggar or jeremy chin or whichever um then and then they see one fall off the board at 43 then i think they're getting on the phone with pittsburgh at 49 to say okay look Here's uh here's what I'm here's what we're looking at. We can get you uh our fifth round pick. We can get you our sixth round pick, uh, t- because you guys are few and far between on picks this year as well. I move up to 49 and make sure you get your guy and get ahead of Dallas, who needs a safety, 
Chicago, who's on the board again, and then Philadelphia is in the mix for a safety as well, as we saw right there as they took Kyle Duggar at 53 on the mock draft simulator. So from that strategical standpoint, that's where you start to kind of figure it out. But the way the, this kind of played out here, because if if I were to be looking at Big Nickel specifically, you would just track Chin versus Duggar. The lean here for me is Duggar because I think they're more familiar with him. And I think he probably projected better to that role for them. But Jeremy Chin is still a really fine prospect and someone that could be good in that role for a long time and develop into potentially a three down starter at outside linebacker or potentially a, a long-term strong safety if, uh, if that's what they wanted to do. It really depends on how he develops with them. So that would be the, the strategy with that. And of course, with edge rushers as well, I think those are the two spots that I personally think that they should really be looking at at 54. I know everyone wants to talk about running back, but the thing about running back is they are so happy with Devin Singletary. And I know you look at the roster and you think to yourself, look, uh, it, they don't have any other needs outside of a complimentary running back. But that in itself is short-sighted and not taking advantage of values uh, throughout the draft where the value at running back is potentially in the third, fourth, and fifth round. And if you're using the 54th overall selection, your most precious resource in this draft, it's just a little bit using that using that kind of ideology and, and goes completely against what Brandon Bean normally does, which is trying to set himself up for the future. Devin Singletary still has three years left on his rookie deal. Uh, he's someone that they that Bean described as having both rare instincts and vision. And rare is not a term that scouts and GMs like to throw around, especially not publicly. So I think they were better on uh, on the field when Singletary was featured. I think they're going to be doing more of that and find someone that's a little bit more of a downhill complimentary guy later on in the draft, or maybe even through free agency with Lamar Miller, Carlos Hyde, or by trading for Leonard Fournette, even though I know a lot of fans aren't crazy about that. So um, so it, for me, it boils down to edge rusher and big nickel because those two spots, that's where the value is. You can get better value. You can get value in the third round at corner. Same thing with wide receiver. Same thing with interior offensive line. And so those are the big six spots for me. So it boils down to edge and uh, big nickel here. All right. So with that in mind, uh, if you could see the screen, uh, we have uh, the yeah. four, the top five edge rushers left on the board. Uh, Michigan's Joshua Uche, uh, Curtis Weaver out of Boise State, Julian Aquara uh, from Notre Dame, Jonathan Grenard from Florida, and Daryl Taylor uh, from Tennessee. And then if you look at safety, uh, Jeremy Chin, uh, like we talked about, is still on the board mm -hmm. there. So what, what direction are you going here? Can you go back to edge and scroll down just a, a little bit? I want to see who else is there. Very nice. Uh, I just want to see for depth purposes because yeah. you have to make an informed de decision, right? To I like see it. who could be on the board at 86. So guy, the reason why I wanted to look at the depth of the edge spot is because I think there is a better likelihood that you can get an, a good player at 86th overall at edge rusher that provides a speed element. than you could say a potential impact big nickel, which is a spot that Sean McDermott values very highly in his defense, so highly that the Carolina Panthers used a first-round pick to uh, to uh, address that position uh, when they selected Shaq Thompson with that, with the vision that he would eventually turn into a three-down player. But at the beginning, he was merely just a role player, you know, situational 
third downs, pass rusher, uh, you know, cover the cover the basis if you send one of the linebackers at the at the quarterback. So that's why it's such an important spot. And because there are so many different options, I mean, we're looking at Bradley Anai, who I don't think is getting enough credit as a potential Bills target right now out of Utah. I mean, he falls a little bit below the the arm length specifications, but this is a smart rusher that can get to the quarterback. I think he could be in the conversation at 80, 86 if he's there, even though I think he's probably going to end up going a lot earlier than that. And the Bills um, are familiar with him. I mean, we talk about the importance right. of the Senior Bowl. He met, they met with him there, right. and they met with him at the Combine. Yeah, Anai is a name to keep an eye on. Uh, Okwara is interesting for this pick if both the, the uh, big nickels were gone. Uh, Weaver, I'm not really fond of the fit with mm-hmm. Weaver and the Bills just because he kind of, he's kind of outside the norm on height, weight, and length and in terms of body composition it's not really and he's not very explosive uh so and they also brought in quentin jefferson who plays a fairly similar game to curtis weaver uh so i wonder if that just might be doing the same thing twice grinnard is an interesting one to me uche is interesting even though he's his height and weight is below their normal uh their normal specifications arm length though is i think 33 and a quarter which is great uh for a smaller guy um, the one guy that, you know, I really don't like is Daryl Taylor. I just think he's kind of like Trent Murphy and you're just kind of settling for a role player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that said, all of those different options I just listed, I, I think I said like what, five or six of them, mm-hmm. the chances that one of those guys are going to be there, you know, maybe, maybe not, but it's a better chance than if I were to pass on Jeremy Chin here. So I'm going to go ahead and take Jeremy Chin because I think this big nickel role is so underrated in Sean McDermott's defense. They've been looking for one for the past three years, and they haven't been able to get it. They tried Raphael Bush as a free agent. Didn't work. They tried Dean Marlowe um, to try and develop him into it. Didn't work. They tried drafting Saran Neal to do it, and he didn't take well to the defense and is more of a special teamer. So they have been actively trying to do this. Now, Finding a guy like Chin or Duggar would be would be able to give them flexibility on third downs. It would be able to give them an additional asset on special teams in his first year and then develop along into a three-down player as he goes along. So I'm going to sit there and take Chin at 54. And if I had my choice between the two, I would have taken Duggar over Chin. Now, Joe, I'm actually with you on the don't take a running back at 54 because it, it's such a valuable pick. But is there any running back in this draft class that if they fell to 54, you think the Bills would be tempted to take them? See, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is super similar to Devin Singletary, so I don't really get the point there. Um Taylor is slightly interesting, but not at 54. The value of it just is what prevents me from doing that. Swift is super interesting because of his uh, abilities as a pass catcher, but I think he's going to be long gone. You know, J.K. Dobbins, good, not great. I don't know if if you're really looking for – the point is you're not looking for a three-down back here. You're looking for someone who is a complimentary option. And there are just so many other options in the third round, whether you go to Zach Moss, uh, A.J. Dillon, Michael Peterine, uh, Michael Warren from Cincinnati. And I know I'm, I'm at least forgetting two or three other names that, that could be the DJ Dallas from Miami. Uh, these are all downhill style guys, which they covet and could be had at 86 or later. All right, so uh, we uh, I, I let the simulator run, so let me get back to the Bills pick at 54, Joe, and if you could get closer up and, and watch a little bit that's going on here. 
Josh Uch, obviously Joe said that he's going to be targeting edge rushers. And of course, at 57, three picks later, uh, a nice little run at edge rusher, Josh Uche, Curtis Weaver, Okwara, all come off the board. Two picks later, Jonathan Grenard uh, out of Florida. Uh, so we get to the, the start of the third here, and already four uh, edge rushers have come off. Uh, we're going to start scrolling through here. Chase Claypool, uh, who I think could be a, a, an interesting target uh, in the third round for the Bills. He comes off, uh, and we get back to 86, uh, and I'll let you see the top of the – available board here and your uh the guy that you're I'm not gonna need too to high see a wide receiver on. yeah the guy that you're not too high on is the top edge it looks like left so we'll bring wide receiver up here and ooh, i think i see somebody that you might like i mean this this is this has been telegraphed for months now <laughs> <laughs> um i mean honestly i you could look at cornerback here although i think there are um Solid options in the fourth round. Michael Ojemuda is someone out of Iowa, is someone that uh, could strike their fancy at uh, at one twenty eight. You also with cornerbacks, it's a very specific player that they're looking for. Good tacklers, long arms, which at least you know about thirty one and a quarter or three quarters. Um, preferably, they like thirty two and up. Um, I believe their average draft arm length is around. 32 and five eighths. Um, so that, that is something to at least know for threshold purposes. Uh, so, but that said, there's going to be guys later on and like Harrison hand out of temples, another one. Um, and then running back, it seems like there hasn't been a lot of action there. So I, I feel confident. I feel confident to, uh, kind of wait on that a little bit because mm -hmm. there's still a bunch of downhill guys that should be there on the board at 128. And if there starts to be a run, then you still keep the draft capital to move up from 128, and it won't take that much. Um, and then edge rusher, not a big Daryl Taylor guy, just not me. Interior offensive line is uh, is another one that you could look at, but I think the strength of the of the IOL is in the fourth round. Um, so for me, I look at this as a humongous opportunity. Brian Edwards is someone that. More or less, I fell in love with when I when I watched his tape. I mean, you look at a guy, you watch this guy. He's six foot two, almost two hundred twenty pounds. He, you know, the speed is not the greatest attribute to his game, but what is is his route running, his footwork, his attention to detail, his separation skills, his abilities to uh, go up against physicality at at the, the line of scrimmage at the line of scrimmage against press coverage. Going up against good cornerbacks, I'm talking about guys like Trevon Diggs, who's going to be probably a first-round pick, Christian Fulton, a borderline first-round pick out of LSU, C.J. Henderson from Florida. These are all first- and second-round picks that he's gone up against throughout his career, and he has dominated with terrible quarterback contributions to him. He makes insane catches, great catch radius, contested catches, catches the ball with his hands. I mean, this is a guy who can run – most every single route. Are you going to ask him to go down the field on a fly route? No. But what Josh Allen and the Bills need out of their wide receivers is someone who can separate consistently, someone who can bring in contested catches, and someone who can get yards after the catch. And he ticks every single one of those boxes. And the only reason he's there at 86 is because of that darn foot injury and, and some other injury concerns from previously in his career. But you're looking at a guy who I think has the potential to way outplay his draft slot, and they wouldn't have to bring him in right away. They wouldn't have to have him play 
because they've got John Brown, Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley already right there. He can develop in the background with Chad Hall, their wide receivers coach. And then you go from there. So easy decision for me. If he wasn't on the board, I'd probably end up going running back here. But uh, since he is on the board, man, run in the card. Brian Edwards, South Carolina, book it. Gotcha. Joe, do you think do you think that injuries could actually benefit the Bills this year in terms of pushing down some premier talent that maybe in most years wouldn't be there because teams would be bringing them in and, and doing their own medicals on them and have a good feeling about some of these guys, whereas maybe that maybe they slide a little bit because they haven't been able to bring those players in and have their doctors check them over. Yeah, absolutely. I think also with Edwards specifically, I think for him if the strength of the class is being used against him as well as the injury and most years, I'm telling you, this guy is a borderline first round, early second round pick. He is good. So when you have that sort of potential sitting there on the board at 86, I mean, do they need a receiver? No, but do they need one for the future to develop into a starter? Absolutely. And which is why, I, you can't look at a gift horse in the mouth and, and uh, you know, decline on it because this is this is a, a good opportunity for them to get a, a potential starter down the line and a potential good starter down the line. All great stuff, my man. Uh, Jeremy Chin goes in the second round. Uh, Joe B, uh, acting as Bill's general manager, Brandon Bean, comes back in the third with Brian Edwards. You are so gracious uh, with your time. Uh, definitely check out Joe, uh, the Buffalo Beat uh podcast the best out there you're going to want to tune into that uh they have a lot of content around the draft right now i, saw, I think i saw one just drop this afternoon so uh what, what else you guys got going you, you got it yep uh yeah i think um my colleague matthew fairburn just put out some late round wide receiver targets if they don't get their hands on say brian edwards in in the third round that that uh could be of interest to the bills and i basically unpacked my entire draft brain into a 4,000 word column, which wow. was uh, 22 thoughts on uh, what the Bills could do. It details like, you know, what it would take to move up to each slot, what teams ahead of them are looking at in the second round, thresholds for certain positions, what makes sense with tiers and everything like that. It's taking a very scientific approach to the draft from for the Bills draft, as well as keeping in mind what Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott covet uh, from their roster and final mock draft coming out tomorrow. Boom. My man, thanks so much. Have a great night. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right. We're moving right along here. We're going to bring in another guy here. Uh, let me ask you before we get to our next guest, Ryan, just some reaction uh, to these two mock drafts because you actually put out a mock draft to start off the week and you, ha and you had them going Kyle Duggar with the first one as well. Yeah, you know, I'm actually torn in terms of which draft I like the best so far because Duggar is a guy that I think the Bills really like. I love Bryce Hall. I've said that Bryce Hall would have been a first-round pick had it not been for his injury. So to get him in the third round is unbelievable. But then I'm also a huge Brian Edwards guy. Uh, I, I just think that what Joe said, I think this is a guy that could come in, be brought along slowly, and then eventually replace John Brown because, you know, fans don't think down the line necessarily. But Brown's contract is up in 2021. At that point, you have to take his agent into consideration, the amount of money they're going to be spending on their own guys. So uh, I really like these drafts. I, I think that Duggar, though, going back to Marcel's, I just really think he's going to be in play for Buffalo if he's still on the board in, in the mid-40s. I wanted to bring one thing up on Duggar, and we can get to this with John Ledyard, uh, who will join us to, to really recap all these drafts. We're about to get to John Scott from Spectrum News. He's going to be our last mock draft. I'm just setting up the mock. 
um, right now. Um, the thing with Duggar that's interesting, and I talked to, if you go back and listen to uh, our, our podcast that we put out yesterday, I, I, I had a chat with Mark Gaughan from the Buffalo News, and he brought up a really interesting point in that F54 going with a, a, a big nickel type role. And now there's versatility in Duggar's game. He's a beast on special teams. He could potentially be the backup weak side linebacker behind Matt Milano. But do you want to invest that kind of uh, asset at 54, your top asset in that draft? That's a question that I think is an interesting one, and it's one that we will talk about in a little while. I want to get to my man here. Let's get him in the stream. Let's see here. John Boom. Scott, Spectrum <laughs> News. Boom. What's up, dude? Hey, how are you? Thanks I'm for having good. me. I'm good. All right. We're going to get this thing going. Uh, one question at the, at the top I want to ask you, who – if you're Brandon Bean and you watch the first round play out tomorrow night, who might be there uh, or who would kind of make your eyes open a little bit if they're still there uh, in the second round that maybe you start to have some conversations that if the slide continues, you know, we might be talking about moving up. I have thought about this one name uh, that I didn't think until recently, the past few days, maybe this week, that was possible is Christian Fulton out of LSU. He is basically being mentored by Tredavious White. He's been in communication with him throughout this entire pre-draft process with the LSU connection. Fulton had an arrest, was suspended, or not an arrest, he was suspended for over a year uh, for tinkering with a drug test early in his college career. So he only played one full season at LSU, also dealt with some injuries. But he's very talented. He has good size. And he's a guy that, again, if you're looking at how Tredavious White played out, I know they love to tout things as DBU, although I think Ohio State could say something for that as well. Uh But LSU says that their DBU, the results do speak for themselves. So I think Christian Fulton, if you're looking to solidify that corner spot opposite of Tredavious White is a guy that potentially they could look at and say maybe we'll go up. Um, another one would maybe be uh, Itur Gross Matos, Matos out of Penn State because I, I think there is a drop-off at edge rusher, and depending upon how they have things stacked and tiered, I think that's a guy with a lot of upside that, that would be fantastic for them at 54. Now, John, if they take Fulton, it's obviously because of his talent alone. But do you think that they could also have like a trickle down effect in terms of keeping Tredavious White here long term, wanting to be partnered up with someone from LSU? Uh, obviously, the money is not going to be a factor. The Bills are going to pay this guy if he wants to play. But do you think that could even kind of factor into, OK, I would really like to stay here long term. This is someone that I know. This is someone I'm I'm mentoring and it would be a unique opportunity. I think it would more so the pick would more so come with hearing what Tredavious White has to say about Fulton because there are again some flags with him and character concerns when you have something that has you out of the game for nearly a year and a half on top of injuries you want to get to know someone and especially the way the process has been seriously altered with all of the coronavirus and the limited numbers of interviews at the combine themselves before all of this happened i think having an inside track to a guy that has questions and there's someone on your team you clearly value and and trust that their opinion holds weight. I think that's where it would. And I then think it would be a nice little secondary thing um, to have a guy that Tredavious is already close with. But I I think, and Matt can attest, and you guys know, Tredavious has a fantastic relationship with everyone in that locker room. So I, I think that 
that would be something just in general of, of he's so well liked and respected within the room already amongst the entire team that they just wouldn't want to let a guy that good and that respected to get out the door. Very good. Let's get this draft going because we're going to bring John Ledyard to here in here in about 20 minutes. Uh, and I want to give you your full uh, segment here to dive into this mock. Uh, so can you see it? You got to get real close. I can. To the yeah. Screen? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause right. we need to see more of this. Get real. <laughs> uh, Joe Burrow, Chase Young, Jeffrey Akuda, Isaiah Simmons, Jedrick Wills, which actually there, that's actually a really interesting pick there because Miami uh, has rumored to want to trade up for a tackle, which I think is kind of funny because there's, you know, I don't think that there's any one tackle in this draft that's really separated themselves. Uh, some people, th- you know, think that's Andrew Thomas and he could be the third or fourth tackle off the board. So it just seems kind of funny, uh, uh, coupled with the fact that Miami just, you know, traded their franchise left tackle. Uh, Laramie Tunsil uh, for draft capital. So now they're going to trade more draft capital to go get a tackle. It's it's kind of odd. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think uh, one of my very best friends is a Dolphins fan. He's just been text, texting me all day about, well, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing this. We understand that 24 hours leading into the draft, it is smoke on smoke on smoke. I find it curious that they would be going for a tackle. I'm not necessarily saying that they're 100% locked into quarterback. I'm fairly certain that that's what's going to happen, but I don't think it's out of the realm that they would go a different position early and then actually, as they did in this mock, try to grab a quarterback later in the first round. I don't think it's going to be Tua dropping all the way down into the teens like that, but maybe Jordan Love would be more so in their plans there. Uh, But like you said, there's a big tackle group of about five, six guys that people are, are pretty high on, but none of them have separated themselves and there's not one where people say you gotta have that one or you gotta have these two they're kind of all on a bag and you pick it out and that's kind of the one you get uh so it would be curious going after the very first one when everything seems pretty even the value doesn't seem right so if things were in trades i would believe if they're if they're not sold on a quarterback at five or that high uh, that they would be looking to trade back if tackle is seriously in their plans. Well, oh boy, Mr. John Scott, <laughs> look who's on the board at 22. The draft network ranks uh, the top player, best player available, J.K. Dobbins, running back out of the Ohio State University. And for people that are going to be listening on the podcast, let me just give you a rundown of the picks that go right before this so you can kind of get an idea of what John uh, is thinking about while he's making this decision, if it's even a decision at all. 47, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, running back out of LSU. 48, Brandon Ayuk uh, to the Jets, wide receiver, Arizona State. Lloyd Cushenberry to the Steelers. Uh, Terrell Lewis to, to, to the Bears, who I think could be a potential target. Zach Bond, edge rusher to the Cowboys. Noah Igbenogany, finally, can say it's so smooth out of Auburn, <laughs> goes to the Rams. And then Trayvon Diggs. I mean, I think this is a bit of a heartbreaker here. I, I do like a lot of the players that are on the board personally here. Uh, but I think Diggs at 54 is a steal, uh, especially with, you know, the kind of skill set that he brings. But we'll go to what's available now. J.K. Dobbins, like I mentioned, uh, Ross, Bla- Ross Blacklock, uh, interior defensive lineman from TCU. Michael Pittman, uh, who's gaining some steam as a Bills uh, potential target. Kyle Duger on the board. Uh, LaVisca Chanel and T. Higgins. I don't see a scenario where both of those guys are on the board at 54, but I guess stranger things have happened. And then you have a couple edges that are there. Uh, Josh Uche, uh, Curtis Weaver, who uh, obviously our buddy uh, Chris Trapasso is pretty high on, and Julian Arquara. So take us through it. What are you thinking here, John? Uh, okay, I will tell you this. 
and it may surprise you. I would not select J.K. Dobbins. I'm not going to go that route wow. here. Um, I, I'm all in on Jonathan Taylor. Okay. I just I, I believe in him so much, and I understand there's mileage there. That's and fumbles are the primary concern with him. But if you're going into a timeshare or a split with Devin Singletary, that's going to take some of that pressure off of him. Not to mention Devin Singletary had a lot of carries in college. So they need that complimentary back for Devin Singletary as much as they would for Jonathan Taylor. So with Taylor not on the board, I like the depth at running back. So I'm not going to go with J.K. Dobbins here. Preferably, I think Edge is the best case scenario for the Bills at 54. Unfortunately, I'm not too high enough on Uche to or Weaver to pull the trigger or Aquara at here. If Terrell Lewis was here, I, I would have taken taken the gamble. I know there's an injury history there, but that's that's the guy that I probably would have gone with. So now I'm looking at these wide receivers, and I know it's not the number one pressing need. And I was listening to Joe talk about his selection of Brian Edwards in the third round. Uh, I still think wide receiver is not at the top of their list, but I still think it is a, a need that needs to be addressed here. And before any of this got started, I was a big LaVisca Chenault fan. I think that his versatility on offense could be incredibly well utilized by Brian Dable. And again, he's someone that is not going to be needed to come in and instantly make this huge impact. They can kind of work their way around the offense and figure out the best way to utilize him. So I'm going to go with LaVisca Chenault, the wide receiver out of Colorado, as he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that pick, though. I think that's smart. You know, And like you said, a lot of early mock drafts before the Bills traded that pick away, they were linked up with Chenault. And from a talent perspective, that's a first-round talent. Now, some injury concerns. He didn't test well necessarily due to, due to a core injury, I believe it was. Um, so had this been a typical year where teams could have brought him in had the doctors look him over, check him out themselves. I still think this is a guy who stock could have rebounded and he could have had the private workout. So uh, I just think that the value alone, if you're able to get a Chenault there at 54, you can, like you said, ease him in. And then as I was telling, uh, talking about with Joe, you ha if you think long-term, you know, John Brown, his contract's up in 2021. By then, Chenault could be easily ready to take over that role as wide receiver two opposite Stefan Diggs. He's just a physical specimen, similar to to Brian Edwards. I mean, he's just he's thick, he's big, and he has the ability to do things after the catch, which from a passing game standpoint was the biggest thing. I would say even more so than the deep ball that they were missing last year was the ability to get run and yards after the catch. Someone put that on Josh Allen, and I think that's valid, but it's also on the wide receivers as well. And and I think LaVisca Chenault would be a great Swiss army knife for Brian Dable to add to the toolbox. And so that's why Chenault is my pick at 54. So LaVisca Chenault is the pick here. I really like it a lot. I think all scenarios um, that could play out, he a lot of them, he's going to be the best player available on the board. And I think that's truly what this is all about, you know, going the best player available. And I, I think that's one thing that I think fans, you know, I think a lot of fans think that, guys pay that lip service because it's what you're supposed to say, but it's a real philosophy in Orchard Park at One Bills Drive. And I think that when they get to this pick and they see the value of a first-round talent in Chenault, if he's there, 
I still I still struggle with the idea that he'll be there. Um, but yeah, good pick. I like it. Chanel goes off the board, and here we go. We are going to fly through Dobbins two picks later to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Josh Uche coming off the board. Curtis Weaver all still here in the second round. Damon Arnett, uh, Michael Pittman close things out. T. Higgins, Kyle Duggar, and Aquara uh, open things out. And just shouts anything out here, John, that you think that uh, you know maybe is a target that you're you're kind of keeping an eye on. Uh, after going Chanel here at 50. Well, I just I just want to address Kyle Duggar real quick because I know that's someone that has widely been discussed amongst Bills fans. And my thing is, is it's not about his talent. It's more so about you're spending a second round pick on a guy that, I mean, how much is he going to contribute? I mean, you just re-signed or extended Jordan Poyer for a few more years, Micah Hyde. I know eventually maybe there there will be a space back there open, but in the next few years or so, where is he going to play? Is, are they going to get rid of Taron Johnson and he plays the big nickel position all the time? Or how is he going to fit in there? To me, as as much as I do like his skill set and think that McDermott and Leslie Frazier could really utilize it, I just don't see the value in that type of a position in the second round. So that's why I passed on him. Uh, I don't even need to look any farther than this. Uh when you get past the first three or four running backs, I guess it would be, I've just, I've become far more educated from other people and then looking into it myself with Cam Akers. And when you look at the numbers, Florida State's offensive line was terrible. They had coaching changes as well. They just were not a good team. It's amazing to think that it wasn't that long ago. That team won the national championship with the likes of Jameis Winston and Kelvin Benjamin and Dalvin Cook was around there. And Akers, was very productive, all things considered. Yes, a couple of years ago, he had 700 yards rushing, and, and that was at the peak of the poor offensive line play. But he's a thick guy who runs well, and I think if you're looking for that complementary type back for Devin Singletary, I, I think Cam Akers is uh, one of these instances where I'm running up to the podium in the third round if this guy is available. Yeah, I, I think Akers is a guy whose value is hurt more so because of his offensive line that played in front of him. It has nothing to do from a talent standpoint. It, it's there. You you saw it. It's, it's the fact that he had such a poor offensive line in front of him that I think that uh, a team could get a real steal at this point in the draft by selecting him. I love the Cam Akers pick. Uh, I, I, from conversations I had at Indy, uh, the, the bills, uh, also like cam Akers, And I think that, listen, the way that his stock has kind of risen over the course of the last few weeks, I don't anticipate him, you know, being there at the start of the third round, let alone where the bills are picking, but the hall that you're talking about here, John, with, with Chanel at 54 acres at 86, you're talking about adding two bona fide weapons to an offense that also added Stefan Diggs. And I, I think that expectations need to be ramped up quite a bit. Am I right for next year? I mean, a uh, 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 17, 18 um, finish in, to in total offense, I think probably won't, won't get it done in terms of expectations. In my opinion, even if they didn't do the Stefan Diggs trade and everything almost came back the way it was a year ago, I think your expectations and from what we've seen from Josh Allen from year one to year two you would just assume they would be better because Josh Allen, you would assume, would be better. And if he's not better, then we're having a different conversation this time next year. So I think without any additions, the conversation and expectations would be elevated. Now you bring Stephon Diggs, a legitimate number one wide receiver. That means 
expectations in the passing game should be elevated. Then whatever you add into the draft, and it wouldn't even need to be second or third round type talent. I think if you add guys third, fourth, even fifth round that could be complementary pieces to this offense, I think that should elevate the expectations as well. I think if this team is going to accomplish the things that Vegas seems to think as an AFC East favorite and a lot of people around here, their expectations are playoffs and and not just getting there but doing some damage, this offense has to be flirting with top 10. And I think Josh Allen needs to be that guy that, you know and you believe that if things come down to it, he can win you the game himself with his arm, with his legs, and leading things uh, all on – not all on his own, but he, he can lead those types of performances and do it consistently through a game. And if you add a LaVisca Chenault again, he's not going to be a, some huge factor, but those are types of players that as he gets more acclimated with the system and as Brian Dable gets more acclimated with the skill set that he can bring – you may, those are types of guys that can be the difference makers in the back end of the season. Debo Samuel with San Francisco really got more and more evol- involved with the offense as the season went along, and you saw how well and influential he was in the Super Bowl, even though they didn't win it. Maybe a guy like Chenault, or if they end up with Brian Edwards, or any of these second, third, even fourth round type wide receivers, that's the impact you can expect. And anything you can do to take the load off Devin Singletary and, and do it. Frank Gore was great for the first month or so of the season, but if you can get a guy who has that type of consistent production paired with Devin Singletary and the way he played in the back end, I mean, it's truly a pick-your-poison type of offense that the Bills could be bringing out each and every week. I like it, man. Uh, great stuff, as always. Uh, why don't you let everybody know what uh, you got cooking? Obviously, you just finished your uh, great profile series from the Combine, and you wrapped it up with a real humdinger. Uh, big draft prospect, uh, your little dog, Otto. Uh, I shouldn't say little, your big dog, Otto. No. Uh, you know, great draft profile on that. Go check out that on, on social media. People will like it. But what do you got uh, for the rest of the week here? All right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of flying on the seat of our pants here, trying to figure out. I don't assume that the Bills will get back into the first round tomorrow night and then see how things are going to roll. We'll be making some report. I'll be doing reports, checking in before a little bit during after the picks and even at late at night on spectrum news with some reports. I'm going to be writing some articles and having some, you know, reaction from Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, whoever we get to hear from after the selections are made. And uh, next week we'll probably be rehashing all of this and, and keep the discussion as to whether or not we like what they did. Awesome. My man, thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy uh, your evening. Uh, have an IPA for me and uh, we'll talk to you. <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. John Scott, Spectrum Sports. Definitely give him a follow at John Scott uh, underscore TV. Uh, I believe it is. Or search John Scott on social media. All right, we're through three drafts here. Uh, very interesting stuff. And a little plug here for the site. Uh, Ryan's mock draft came out on Monday. Uh, mine will come out on Thursday. I put up a story today where I basically went and, and tried, tried to find five diverse mock drafts around on social media. Uh, Mel Kuypers was one that I used, Dane Brugler, uh, Ryan Wilson, who we talked to uh, on the pod last week. And I basically constructed uh, their podcast or their um, their mock draft. And basically from a Bills beat perspective, kind of gave you know our thoughts on, on how I think that, that the draft will play out. A couple of them stayed the same. A couple of them were different. Go check that out over at the site. But I think that, you know, especially at this 54 pick here, 
there's going to be options and it comes down to, I think even still, where do these guys rank on the board? Because for me, I, sh- I, I like everything that Joe said uh, about uh, uh, the uh, big nickel corners. Uh, Jeremy Chin uh, going into his mock. Marcel earlier was spot on with everything he said about Kyle Duger. I like both of these prospects. I think Duger's versatility screams the, the McBean model process, whatever you want to call it. But I just think, I agree with John, I, I think 54 for a guy that's going to play 15 to 20% of the snaps on defense, that's a, that's a steep price to pay, as good as he potentially can be. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a valid argument. It's just going to come down to uh, the players that value the most, probably based on the research that they've done over, over the time. You know, it, it's tough because other than complimentary running back to Devin Singletary, there, there aren't a lot of glaring needs. And you're probably not going to get a, a, a great offensive tackle at 54. I, I've seen some fans say they want to look at the tackle position. Um, wide receiver, how much would they be utilized if they're wide receiver four? I don't know. Uh, but it's tough to justify, like you said, if you're only going to be playing 15 to 20% of the snaps, well, then you better be really good during that time and you better be able to be a special team standout immediately for this team if that's going to be the case. So I, I think that there is an argument to be had there. I just really think they're really high on Kyle Duggar. I agree. I agree. All right. If you are just joining us, if you've been with us the whole night, we really appreciate uh, your support. You are uh, listening to and watching the Bills Talk with Matt Perino podcast. We just went through three uh, live real-time mock drafts. Uh, Marcel Louis-Jacques from ESPN, Joe Biscalia from The Athletic, and John Scott from Spectrum News. I'm so appreciative to, from, to all of them for joining us. Next up, we are going to be joined by another guest, our fourth of the night, uh, John Ledyard, uh, pewterreport.com. He covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he is a draft expert. This guy is dialed in. He knows what he's talking about. He's going to be joining us any minute here. Um, Ryan, going into this day one tomorrow, I'll ask you the question that I asked uh, all the guys to start things off. Who is that guy that maybe hasn't been mentioned that you maybe want to, like, consider not necessarily trading up, but monitoring if he falls a a guy that maybe not expected to fall into the second round. You know, I'm going to go with Denzel Mims at at one point. He was a second round pick. Then he all of a sudden was jumping up in the first round, actually ironically to that pick 22 where that bills traded away. But now again, now I'm starting to see him being talked about as a second round prospect again. And the bills have done a little bit of homework on him as well. And it, it kind of comes down to the fact where, okay, if you want to get Josh Allen as many weapons as possible, you have a great top three, but if one of those guys goes down, you're in the same boat that you were in last year where you're talking about Duke Williams or Isaiah McKenzie or Robert Foster. And if you're if they're content with those three guys, so be it. But a guy like Denzel Mims is intriguing. I know that there's that little bit of, of Baylor backlash, I guess is what I'll call it, where a lot of these guys don't transition smoothly over to the pros, but I, I, I just think there's a little something different about that game. Obviously, a different coaching regime than than what we saw years ago with that Baylor uh, high up tempo offense. So I, I don't think I think you can kind of throw that out the window. I think Mims would be an intriguing guy to monitor if he falls out of round one. One guy that's interesting to me, and I think Mims is a great uh, a great name to mention because I really was impressed with the things that I heard about him in terms of what he brings as a blocker. And I think that 
you know, I think that's one of the things that endeared Zay Jones to the coaching staff for as long as he was uh, endeared to him before getting traded is that he worked his, his tail off, you know, in all areas of the game. And I think that that's an, that's something that this coaching staff looked for. But one guy that I think is interesting is AJ Epinesa, uh, the, the, the pass rusher out of Iowa. I don't necessarily know how well he's going to transition from the college game to the program. I think all of the concerns are valid. Um, but I think he's somebody that the value would be so high if you were to get him in that range. Maybe you have to move up a couple picks to get him if you really like him. Uh, I think he I think he's somebody that you can he's versatile enough that you could play him on the outside, you can move him inside almost a la uh, a Shaq Lawson. And I think that that's a, a name that you know I've heard that there might be some interest from the Bills in him. They've impressed with him. So somebody to watch. Yeah, he, he's intriguing as well. And it's funny because when Matras first started, and I mean, we're talking back in January, um, and we talked about Epinesa as a target for the Bills at 22. It was, no, that guy's not going to be there. He's going to be taken mid-first round. Well, now you're starting to see those Matras where he's falling out or he's late in the first round. So it's definitely a lot more realistic. Uh, he, he kind of checks a lot of the boxes. He does a lot of things well. I'm not sure there's anything that he does great, but he kind of, he, he fits a lot of the measurables that they, they look for. In an edge rusher, I, I think that he would be an immediate upgrade and a guy that could uh, take on a bigger role, obviously, in the near future with a lot of those defensive ends that they currently have being 30 and older. Very good. Joining the live chat podcast right now, John Ledyard, uh, pewterreport.com. What's up, my man? I'm so glad to have you uh, on our show. Absolutely. Great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I love talking Talking about the Bills, I'm a Steelers guy, and I don't have first round pick either. So, like, I'm feeling y'all. I'm ready for day two, but we got to get through day one first. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, I was just talking to uh, another draft dude last week, Ryan Wilson. A great appearance on the pod. Uh, he grew up a Steelers fan and said one of the things why he's so high on the Bills right now is because it's been a long time since the Bills went into Pittsburgh and and, and had a game like that where you know. All granted, Duck Hodges was was at the helm, but you know, just winning that road game, getting over the hump. I think it's been like forty some odd years since they won in Pittsburgh. So uh, I, that's what something I wanted to ask you right off the jump. I, where are you um, right now? Uh, how bullish uh, are you on what's being done in Buffalo with the way they built this roster? Oh man, I think they're probably one of the best run teams in the NFL. I've said that for a while. You know, I. I, I I know all Bills fans know that I disagreed with, you know, the Josh Allen selection in general, but, it, you know, it's I had Lamar Jackson ranked, ranked, rated higher and Josh Rosen, don't tell anyone. But I, <laughs> that seems like it's working out about as well as I could have ever hoped it would have. I didn't think he was like this horrible day three player like others did, but um, I did think it was too high for him and not somebody I would have considered a franchise type of quarterback. But they have done it the right way. Everything they've done, they've done the right way. You know, even stuff I don't necessarily agree with, They've done the right way. They've taken Josh Allen. They stripped him down to the basics and are kind of building him back up from there. I don't think many other organizations in the NFL would have or could have done it. I think a lot of teams would have said, you have a big arm. We're going to throw it deep 100 times a game. And instead, the Bills have kind of rebuilt his game from the base and made him an accurate short to intermediate quarterback and then are kind of hopefully building toward what can he accomplish, you know, and more high degree of difficulty stuff. So we'll see how that goes. But honestly, almost everything else I agree with the way that they've built a lot of the team, they've gone out in free agency and been aggressive. They've poured talent into the lines. 
maybe it's not a situation where you know you're looking at the offensive line and you're saying or you're looking at the offensive line and you're drafting a ton of guys in the first round they have just gone out and they found a ton of guys that can play they have depth so if guys get hurt they're ready that's the way you need to treat the lines and they do that on both their lines i'd like to see them find some more pass rushers but as a whole i mean there's very few complaints that I, I can make about the way the Bills have built their roster. And, of course, it helps a ton when you can coach and create culture like they do. Um, that gets guy, that gets the most out of guys like a Levi Wallace and a Shaq Lawson who were clearly limited and you know, Lawson kind of floundering before those guys got there and just kind of helped him turn it around. I mean, there's so many guys. Jordan Phillips, like, you get they get the most out of everybody that comes through there. So even if you don't love the move on the surface, it's hard to really hate on it because you know they're going to maximize whatever they do. You know, John, you mentioned the fact that the Steelers don't have a first-round pick either, and I, and I saw last week they were talking about uh, the total points that teams had in the draft class, and the Bills and the Steelers were at the bottom. But the one thing I mentioned when I saw uh, saw other outlets mentioning that is I would much rather have a Stefan Diggs and a Minka Fitzpatrick than a number 18 overall pick and a number 22 overall pick because you you know the Steelers got a proven entity and a guy that really helped bolster that defense last year. The Bills are getting a number one wide receiver that is going to help Josh Allen tremendously. So I, I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. You know, it, it, it's I know fans probably don't like not having a first round pick, but what what speak to adding a proven talent instead of kind of taking a chance on someone that's not necessarily uh, going to pan out in the NFL. Yeah, I mean it's a no brainer. It's something every single team in the NFL should do. When you get the chance to add a proven quality football player who's done it for years, who's still young, and they're not, you know, they're not up against it with the cap. You know, they're not a team that's going to be stressed out because of what they have to pay them or anything like that. It's it's perfect. It's exactly what they needed to do. Um, it takes a good. I think their receiving core is good. Like Be- Beasley and Brown are, are good players, and they could have drafted somebody and had a good receiving core. Now it's one of the best in the league, and they have uh, they have a game changing number one. It makes life so much easier for John Brown. Um, you know, Cole Beasley's going to be able to play and do his thing in the slot. And you don't have to worry about matchup problems or anything like that because teams are going to have to take their number one guy and put him on digs. And if you don't, he's going to destroy you. Um, yeah, it's all about Josh Allen now. Can he can he maximize what Diggs brings to the table? That's all, what it's all about. There's no question in my mind that Diggs is a perfect fit for what Buffalo wants to do, for what Brian Dable wants to do, his ability to separate at all levels of the field. He's not just a vertical threat. He can separate all levels of the field, and he can make things happen after the catch as well. But he does give you that vertical dimension. So now you have two guys on this team that can give you a vertical dimension. It's all about Josh Allen's maturation now. Does he get to the point where he can consistently maximize what these guys bring to the table? Because what they bring to the table is a whole heck of a lot. This is a really good receiving core. The whole offense is good. I mean, the offensive line is good enough and deep, and they played great last year, and they're well-coached. And you have Singletary, who I think was, was really good last year, and they're going to draft somebody probably in day three, hopefully, in this draft, and he's going to be the, the running back, that the other running back that they need at the receiving core set. And Dawson Knox was one of my favorite players in last year's class as a mid-round guy, and they he'll keep developing and working hard. And it's all about Josh Allen now, man. Everything's in place around him. They've done it exactly how you should do it with a quarterback on a rookie contract. Now it's all about whether he can take the next step this season. If he does, they're a Super Bowl, Super Bowl contender. Not a playoff contender, Super Bowl contender. But if he doesn't, you know, they're just another team that's probably probably will make the playoffs given the state of the AFC right now, but uh, they're not going to be a serious threat to, to the Chiefs or the Ravens. 
Great stuff, John. Uh, so we 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 did uh, the first hour. We went through three real time mock drafts, and I'm going to go through the hall. And unfortunately, because of technical difficulties, I wasn't able to figure out how to uh, screen grab like what was still on the board. But we have a general idea, so we'll kind of go through them really quickly. But I just want your your thoughts mostly on these prospects uh, because I think that all three of these uh, mocks ended up hauling two players that I think Bills fans are, are generally interested in. And the first one was Marcel Louis Jacques. Uh, he went with the, the big nickel role, uh, Kyle Duggar uh, out of Lenore Rhine at 54 uh, with some receivers on the board. Uh, I think most of the edge rushers were, were gone. I have to go back and look, but um, what are your thoughts on Duggar and, and 54? I mean, I feel like there's two schools of thought on that. Uh, from the community. Some people think uh, that would probably be way too high. And then there's people that are high on him that think you, you hope he lasts that long. Yeah. I mean, to me, I, I was on uh, WGR that actually earlier today and mm -hmm. I was talking about the bills and they're like, what do you think they'll do in second round? I was like, I have no clue because they don't really have like a crying need. It is all about best player available. You look at the roster and certainly there's positions I think that they could get better in. Um, but I, I, you know, honestly, when I look at the roster, I'm just like, I don't think there's like a one position they need to pigeonhole themselves into. You know, I think they need to keep their options open and almost literally take best player available outside of a, a couple positions, maybe, um, you know, but they just need to see who falls and if they need to trade back or trade up or whatever, you know, do it because you, th this isn't a roster that needs it to sign every single one of their current selections. You know, they, they can be aggressive. They can move around. They can do whatever they need to do and play the board. And it's a great position to be in for them. They're actually not in a super dissimilar position to the Pittsburgh Steelers, except the Steelers just don't have as many picks uh, to, to finagle with. So I think that, um, so from that perspective, I wouldn't wrap myself in any one player anyway, regardless of kind of who else was there, but in terms of Duggar and how he fits, it's interesting because Duggar is kind of like a luxury pick for whoever, whatever team takes him, I think, uh, because I'm not really sure that he steps into any specific role as a rookie. I, mm -hmm. I don't know that he's ready for that. If you watch his tape at Lenore Ryan, not only will it be a huge jump in competition, and that kind of goes without saying, he was fine at the Senior Bowl. He has the physicality, the size, and the athleticism to play at the NFL level. So I'm not like worried about him being physically or athletically overwhelmed by the level of competition. With Duggar, it is almost all about processing and technique. That's what it'll all be about. And where do you want to play him? Uh, because Lenore Ryan played him a lot single high. And, I mean, he when I say he bit on everything, I mean he bit on everything. It didn't matter what it was. Anything that happened in the backfield, he just took off like a cannon. And a lot of time he was wrong, and they threw the ball in behind him, and it was dropped, or the corner knocked it down, or the pass was overthrown. I mean, they're playing these guys that can't throw the football, can't complete these passes, and so it, it's not going to show up on the stat sheet or whatever, but it's just like you cannot trust this guy in single high yet. I mean, maybe they were telling him just tee off, just go crazy, but it seems unlikely to me. Uh, he just trusted his athleticism and his physicality, and that's what he played with. I mean, that's it. And he still, you know, did some really good things. So he just needs totally rebuilt if you're going to play him in deep zone coverages. And man coverage, the technique is just crazy right now. Um, everything that the wide receiver shows him, any slight stem, I mean, he is sprinting hardcore at that stem, and they can break it back the other way. And even receivers at that level crossed him up. And so he is just a complete athlete uh, juggernaut. If he ever reaches his max potential, he'll be one of the best safeties in the league. But he's so far away from that that it is hard to kind of envision that happening right away I honestly think the guy could be a linebacker um he could be kind of what they wanted Saran Neal to be I think um uh, maybe a, a, a like a way better version of that um, type of player so if they're looking for that type of player 
I think he can make some level of sense for them. And that's one team where, you know, I have Duggar in like the 80s on my board. I think he's he's worth taking a shot on, even though he doesn't really do anything that great on tape other than hit people. Um, he's worth taking a shot on because of his size and athleticism and his physicality, his violence. I mean, he just he gets at how to play the game in that way. So the Bills would be one of the teams I would love to see him on because, like I said before, you just count on everybody kind of reaching their potential or close to it with the Bills. And although he'd be one of the biggest projects that that defensive coaching staff would take on, there's not a lot of places in the league I would trust more with a guy like Cal Duggar. So I would say all of that. I would say it's risky, uh, especially with your first pick in the draft, but with a team without it, a clear hole that can take can afford to take that. They've put themselves in a position to kind of take that sort of risk. And I think that because of that, they're able to do that. And, and you're able to say, okay, I, I don't, I don't love the value of what they're getting here, but this is a team that you have to trust with that process to get the most out of this player and getting the most out of a guy like Duggar is going to be a really good contributor for your team. So I think given the full context of the situation and who's selecting him, I could get behind it. Also, Marcel made the pick, so I'm not going to say anything negative about it. <laughs> <laughs> very smart. Very smart. Uh, so uh, he comes back in the second round or in the third round uh, goes to the, to the cornerback position. And, uh, I want to ask you a broader question about cornerback too. He takes Bryce Hall, um, and I think he's uh, the question I'm really interested in about cornerback. Anybody in the second or third round? Is there anybody in your mind that could come in day one and compete for a starting job? Because I think that if you're going to go corner with one of those top two spots, with uh, even with the addition of Stefan Diggs, I think still more playmaking potential there on this offense in terms of adding weapons. Do you think that uh, a guy like Bryce Hall or, you know, even a guy like uh, Cameron Dantzler, uh, if he were to fall to this spot, which, you know, it doesn't seem likely, do they make that kind of impact uh, right away? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned those two. I actually have those two names as the two names of Bill's corners that I would say, you know, if you're talking about guys, the Bills will probably draft in the third round at cornerback. Those are the two. Uh, and you know that. I mean, great fits for what the Bills are trying to do. Um they don't care as much about they have two of the slowest corners in the league on their team mm -hmm. and Levi Wallace and Josh Norman, you know, they, they don't, they're not worked up about what, how fast these, all these corners are. You know, they have a special corner in Trey white. They don't need a bunch of guys that can run four, three, four, four, you know, they are going to get the most out of all those guys. So I just finished watching Dantzler and man, I mean, he's, he's super talented. He fits what they do. Uh, I don't understand the 40, not only is it the 40, but the arm length was terrible. You know, he's got like armless on the 23rd percentile or something. And, um, you know, you thought on tape, there's this big, tall guy. Now he's a big, tall guy with short arms. And it's just kind of hard to figure out what all, you know, all the peripheral stuff with him is bad. His vertical is bad. His body fat percentage is like really bad. And he's only 188 pounds. So like this guy's like never lifted a weight in his life. But I mean, he plays so physical and so hard, he's great in run support. He tackles, um, you know, so he's a great fit for what they want to do. Uh, getting back to Bryce Hall, though, I mean, again, you're getting a lot of the same mold, I think. Um, maybe not as good technically as Dantzler, but uh, the ball skills were what jumped out about me with Bryce Hall, former wideout. When I watched him, I was just like, man, this guy knows how to find the football, and he's got the size and the length and the leaping ability to elevate and play the ball down the field, and there's just a lot of value in that, uh, especially for what the Bills do and the way they play their corners. I think that that trait is a really invaluable one for looking for that number two corner. Um, get a guy that can get up there and contest uh, everything. He's not going to be mirror and match all over the field like some of these lockdown press man guys. Um, you know, shifty route runners could give him issues in that type of a situation. But you play him linearly, you ask him to press bail, you do some things like that, you work on his technique. Again, he's the mentality they want, the size 
guys they want the length they want. They're not super worried about the speed. His 2018 tape was great. I think he showed he was fast enough. Um, the injury is the big question. You know how how comfortable are they with the injury, and how comfortable are they feeling like okay, we can you know proceed in this situation, and we could say okay, this is definitely a guy that we'd feel comfortable drafting at this situation, and this isn't going to be a reoccurring issue for us. Great. Uh, moving on to the second hall, uh, Joe Biscaglia, the athletic, uh, led things off uh, at, at the the big nickel spot as well. He went safety uh, with Jeremy Chin. Uh, what can you tell us uh, about him? Yeah, Chin is – I actually have Chin ranked uh, much higher than Duggar. A lot of people have kind of grouped those two together a little bit. And, um, you know, to me, I think that – I think that Chin is a guy that uh, – some people have compared him to Simmons, to Isaiah Simmons – I don't know if I'd say I see that so much, but I, you know, at that level too, it's hard to, how am I going to make that distinguish uh, distinguishment when you're talking about Simmons doing it at the highest level? You know, I think with chin, you, you got a guy who can play in man coverage. you got a guy who I, flashed when they put him deep, but wasn't asked to do it a ton, you know, playing single high and stuff like that. So, but he has the size, he's the range, he's the athleticism, uh, all about cultivating his technique and man coverage. I think we saw that at the senior bowl, you know, it wasn't great for him, but all the traits are there. He competes, um, he'll come up and run support. He'll hit. He'll get off blocks. Um, some people said he wasn't that physical. I really think people are falling into kind of comparing him to Duggar in that way because Duggar is just kind of a, a, an assassin on the football field. And Chin isn't that. He's much more nuanced in how he approaches the game. But he, he's he doesn't lack physicality. He's not a soft player. Um, you know, he is uh, – he yeah, he just – He's one of those guys that definitely is going to look good getting off the bus, but then at the same time, I think he'll look good on the field too. So it's kind of about developing him. I don't know that he's going to step in any role. I have an early third-round grade on him. I don't know that he'll step into any role and excel right away. Um, he's going to get drafted higher than I have him probably just because his traits are so good. Um, so it'll be all about where he lands. And, again, Buffalo, great landing spot for him, uh, a place you definitely trust to get the most out of him. And um, some of his peak plays this past season in coverage are really nice and uh, go back two years and he played the Ole Miss guys um, and he played those guys really tough. And so what we've seen from him is pretty good. I wish the senior bowl had been a little bit better for him, but those one-on-ones are a tough environment. And, and I think, you know, in those situations, it's hard to take too much away from the defensive backs, I think. So I, I love the the fit of him landing in a place like Buffalo and actually where they pick is right around where I have him on my board. I think. So we, uh, are through the first three picks of the six that were made tonight. Uh, first three were defense. The rest are offense. And in the second round of Joe B's draft, uh, he snags Brian Edwards, who he's been a big fan of for a while. Obviously the injury concerns dropped him down uh, big boards and, and draft boards in the NFL. What do you think about the value there and the upside as a guy that doesn't have to come in and make an impact right away can kind of learn behind, you know, a guy that, is a good route runner and Edwards can learn to get behind some of the best in the NFL and Stefan Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley. What, what do you think about that pick there? I am probably the big, I think I'm the biggest Brian Edwards fan actually that there is. So you came nice. to the right place. <laughs> I have him 23rd on my board, I think. And the consensus board that Arif Hassan put together that he does every year, I think I'm the highest of anybody of any of the boards that he takes in for that project. So over 55 boards, I think, at this point, and nobody's uh, higher than I am on Edwards. Um, I think I, that's a second-round grade for me. I know a lot of people have, like, 30 first-round grades. I'm not one of those people. So even though he's that, that high on my board, it's like a mid-second-round grade for me. Um, I think he's a he's a solid number two wide – he's a really good number two wide receiver. I don't know if you run your offense through him, but in Buffalo, that's not a concern at all. Um, he gives them a totally different dimension, uh, type of receiver. 
Although Stefan Diggs is really good in contested situations, but it's not like his game where Edwards, if you looked up at to Brian Edwards, in fact, anybody who's watching this or listening, like look up Brian Edwards, best 10 catches or, or best highlights or whatever on YouTube or whatever, you're going to be like jaw on the floor. Like how is everybody not talking about this dude? Um, and I'm not saying he did that every game and, and don't just watch highlights for sure. But that just shows you what he is capable of. This guy wins above the rim. I mean, he has made some of the most acrobatic catches in college football over the past four seasons, and nobody cared because he played for South Carolina and he did it only once every other couple games because that's as often as he got a pass that was in his vicinity with those quarterbacks. So, you know, he is the type of player that would thrive in that type of environment because, again, he needs a little bit of of, of running refinement, I think, to maximize what he offers. But size, physicality, I mean, he – he took an end around against Alabama on the first play of the game, and he literally just threw Patrick Sertain's kid, like threw him like three yards, just tossed him right off him. He plays nasty. Uh, his temperament will remind you Anquan Bolden when you watch him play. He's rocked up, almost looks like a tight end, but he can play inside and outside too, so added value there. Uh, makes contested catches. He'll drop a few. He needs some route running polish. He's not a burner, um, but he wins at all three levels of the field. He separates intermediate. He separates short, and he makes contested catches with guys closing over his back, and he makes catches above the rim down the field. He got behind Trevon Diggs when they played this past season on a vertical route. It was overthrown, of course, um, but I mean, that's what he brings to the table. I think he's a really a complete wide receiver, not dominant maybe in any one area, but I think he's just a complete receiver who will help a team at the next level. And you can also manufacture some touches for him and and, and he'll still produce. So I love the fit. Uh, like you said, he won't need to play right away. I don't even know how he play right away with those three. Uh, so if you go wide receiver that early, that's the only thing to think about. Is there a player that maybe helps you a little bit more right now? But at the same time, like I said, Bills are in a position where it's hard to be critical of any position that they take because they have a good roster. It's all about whoever's best players on the board are. And for me, Brian Edwards would be one of the best players on the board for sure. And adding a guy like Edwards at that point too, if one of those three guys goes down with an injury, you're not having to worry about Robert Foster or Duke Williams or Isaiah McKenzie having to step up. You have a guy that's probably a better fit to step up in that right then and there. And also someone that could eventually take over for John Brown in a few seasons when Brown's contract runs out. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think another thing about Edwards that's nice is that he helps you in the red zone and you can do some different things with him. You know, uh, I could see Brian Dable being creative enough to line him up as a wing um, and and work on his blocking and, and try and do some things with him from those types of alignments to create mismatches. I mean, linebackers aren't going to be able to cover him. So if you get guys in goal line package and personnel, he's big enough where if you can get him to block a little bit for you on the edge and run away from him a little bit on the goal line, defenses have to respect it. Then you flex him out once in a while, once defenses have, have run out their base personnel, you flex him out, you get him on a linebacker and, and you get him open in the red zone. He can make catches outside his frame really well. So it's an ideal spot for him too. So um, yeah, I love the fit. And I think there's a lot of flexibility with how you can use him. And like I said, because he can play inside and out, you know, it gives you the option if Cole Beasley were to get hurt, you know, you can, you can still, you can play Diggs in the slot. You can play Edwards in the slot. Browns play, everybody can play inside and outside. So it keeps that same level of flexibility that they have right now. It keeps that going with the roster and allows them to just be able to move people around and find the best matchups. And the final haul, all offense uh, at 54, um, LaVisca Chenault, wide receiver out of Colorado, and at 86, uh, come back with a running back, Cam Akers out of Florida, which that would be one heck of a, a haul if you can get Akers at 86. I'm not sure if he'll be there, uh, but thoughts on, on on those two picks. 
Yeah, I like some things about Chanel's game. I just think he's a really risky pick. So, again, uh, Buffalo is a good place to develop raw players and so support that. But, you know, I've said that uh, repeatedly already. But I do think it's worth noting that um, Chanel's best tape was probably in 2018. He did not – he has not had great quarterback play, period. But this past season it was another level of ugly. Um, but he doesn't really separate very well for a guy with his athletic traits – I wish it was a little bit better. He's not a really polished route runner or polished release guy. He's kind of like a manufactured touch guy. Um, you know, there were opportunities down the field, not great opportunities. He wasn't getting a lot of accurate balls. Um, in 2018, you saw his ball skills show up a little bit more, but it wasn't like a dominant trade for him on tape. I- I'll leave open the caveat that he may be capable of more if he gets better quarterback play. But the way he was used in that offense, anytime they tried to do something really high degree of difficulty or ask him to do anything high degree of difficulty, I don't think it was his strength. Um, so he would operate well in Buffalo in that he is clearly not have to be one of the top guys, as we mentioned. So the fit is fine. Um, it's just like I don't know that you know he, he's a guy that has uh, you would think a high ceiling, but also the injuries would be a concern. He's been banged up a lot. Um, you know some. Some have questioned him picking up an NFL offense and being able to run with it. I've seen scouts say that in McGinn's articles on The Athletic and such. So I think that there's a level of, of – he's like the biggest boomer bust, I think. That's the easiest way to say it. Like just a huge boomer bust pick because he has size and speed and athleticism that you love, but not much is cultivated about his game right now. He's the wide receiver version of Kyle Duggar. Not that raw, but, uh, but if you know what I'm saying. So I think that um, – I think the fit is fine. I think it's just a matter of you have to understand it's going to be a patient process with him. I don't think you'll get the contributions uh, that you would out of Brian Edwards uh, in year one, Um, although most people would probably disagree with me on that. The one thing about Chanel that is true is you can get a manufactured touches right away, and with the receivers they already have, it wouldn't be a big concern that he couldn't do everything right away. They could bring him along really slowly. So, again, the fit's fine. It's just a matter of understanding that Chanel is a pretty decent risk. Cool. Um, so yeah, let's go through, uh, all three of these. We'll have you pick, uh, we'll pick a winner here. Uh, I love putting these guys up against each other because it's funny. Uh, John, Marcel and Joe all, uh, matched up uh, as four of the final teams in our fantasy league this year. So, uh, they get to battle it out again tonight. Uh, so the first one, uh, Jeremy Chin, uh, uh Bryce Hall, the second hall was, um, first oh no. was Duggar, Duggar, um, go. Bryce Hall. Exactly. Duggar and Bryce Hall, Jeremy Chin and Brian Edwards, and then Cam Akers and LaVisca Chenault. Who are you? Uh, what, which one did you like the most? I'm going to go with Jeremy Chin and Brian Edwards. Whose was that? Joe Biscalia. That's Joe's. Okay. Yeah. Good job, Joe. I think all those are actually pretty good. I don't have anything too critical to say about any of them, to be honest. All those guys can work in Buffalo. They, these guys clearly understand the fits for Buffalo, but those are the two highest players on my board, I think, out of anybody that you mentioned. Chenal and, and Chin are pretty close, I think. But I love Edwards, so I love that pick. And I think Chin is better probably player than Duggar. I was tempted to go Duggar because I love Duggar in Buffalo. If I was going to pick one spot for him, that might be it. And Hall is a really good fit for Buffalo as well, and I, I still really like him. But I'll play it a little bit safer given Hall's injury, and I'll go with uh, Chin and Edwards. Very nice. Uh you got yourself uh, quite an interesting beat coming up at you this year. Uh, so you're headed down to Tampa to cover uh, a few guys that we're very familiar with in Buffalo, Tom Brady and, and Rob Gronkowski. What are your, I mean, there's still a draft to go here. There's gonna be more pieces added, but what are your initial thoughts on what this could be? This, this Tampa Bay offense. It could be special for sure. You know, I mean, they need, 
the offensive line to continue to make strides. They did last season. I was really pleased with the the way everybody kind of progressed last uh, last season. Um, you know, Donovan Smith even came a little ways, and he's not been great there, but uh, he came a little ways. And if he keeps developing, you know, Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen have proven to be good players, and Alex Kappa developed, and they'll probably draft a right tackle as early as they possibly can. Um, so I think, yeah, that group has to keep getting better. But Brady, Godwin, Ronald Jones, you know, they'll draft a running back at some point too. And, you know, hard to mess that position up if you get everything else working. And, uh, you know, obviously Evans and, and Godwin and, uh, and Gronkowski now. And we'll see what happens with O.J. Howard, Cameron Braid. There's just so many weapons. I mean, it's hard to, you know, find another receiver at some point in the draft probably and a running back. And, um, you know, defensively is where the real questions exist and not really in the front seven, but the secondary. Everybody's kind of a second or third year player. So we're just going to have to kind of see – how that progresses because you know right now I, I like a lot of those players and what we've seen from them, but it, we just haven't seen very much at this point. It's a fairly small sample size. I mean, almost everybody in their secondary is the second or third year player. So they'll be really getting a lot of them will be getting their first full season in the lineup under their belt. So tough spot for them to be in, I think in some ways, but at the same time, that's why I drafted these guys high. And so, so to see what they could do. So if those guys play well and that secondary continues to develop, I mean, not out of the question to say the Bucs are a Super Bowl contender. Um, there's just a lot of talent in the NFC to go up against. And so we're going to have to see if Brady can have a little bit of a bounce back year, although not much of what happened last year was was totally on him, I think, um, and see if Gronkowski can return to form. So there's still some unknowns and question marks. It's not as certain a situation as something like the Saints or the 49ers, but raw talent, I mean, it, there's a ton of it here, and they're going to be well coached, so you like their chances of taking the next step. Well, if we get a season on time, enjoy the ride, my friend. John Ledger, thank you so much for joining us tonight. You can find him at Ledger NFL Draft on Twitter. Uh, we really appreciate it and enjoy the, the next couple of days, your Super Bowl here uh, with the draft coming up. Absolutely, guys. You too. Take care of yourselves. Later, John. All right. All right. So we've gone a uh, pretty good amount of time here. Uh, we won't hang around too much longer, but the chat has been so active tonight, over 150 people uh, for most of the show. So if you have any questions, if you asked us any questions thinking we were going to uh, address them earlier in the show because of the format, we didn't really take them. Shoot them at us right now um, and we'll hit them before we get out of here. Um, Ryan, as we look ahead now, um, you know, I, I, I want to talk a little bit more about potential scenarios because we we went defense with a couple picks here. We went, uh, you know, offense and Johns. Um, what do you think we're talking about 54? What do you think where you leave that pick as a bills fan? And you're just like jumping for joy like this. We just hit a home run is Kyle Duger or Jeremy chin that, or do you think the majority of bills fans are, are hoping more for, you know, a sexier pick like a Jonathan Taylor or, or even a T Higgins who, you know, I, I should have asked John about this while he was still on, but he didn't He didn't even have him graded in the top three rounds. Uh, some people are pretty hot, low on him. Um, but I think getting a guy like T. Higgins at 54 with the hype that he had early on in the process would be an absolute home run as well. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think either of those safeties would be viewed as a home run necessarily, but I, I did put something out earlier on Twitter saying, you know, based on Buffalo's interest, if these were the first three picked and it was um, – I had Duggar, Zach Moss, and now I'm blanking on the third player that I had. Um, but anyways, mo most of them were said, oh, yeah, I'd be happy with that haul. But there were also others that said, no, not a big nickel, not a, not a safety at number 54. So I almost think it would have to be like a sexier pick for people to be like, oh, yeah, we, we hit a home run, J.K. Dobbins or 
um, Taylor at running back or maybe a, a big wide receiver that fell down the draft board, maybe an edge rusher. You know, if there's that edge rusher that slips a little bit, I think that could be viewed as a home run too. So it's it's going to be interesting. But, you know, I, I don't think there's one prospect where everyone's going to make – you can't make everyone happy in a fan base, unfortunately. Uh, but I, I think there are some key – positions where you could a, a address or attack that would make a lot of the fan base happy. Uh, so my mock draft is going to be coming out tomorrow and it's got a little bit of a, uh, we deviate a little bit from the plan. Uh, Daniel uh, Gowers asked, uh, who is your pick at 54 and 86? Ryan, you obviously put out your uh, mock draft on Monday. Uh, you went with Duger at 54, um, right? 54. And then you came yep. back at 86. Where, where'd you go there? Brian Edwards. So, uh, you know, it was there nice to hear both of those names here. I love Edwards. I love what he would bring to this team. Uh, I, I think that he would be a guy that if someone went down with injury, he could step right in. And he's not going to play at Stefan Diggs' level as a rookie or uh, John Brown, put up numbers that John Brown did. But he would be a lot better of a replacement than what they currently have on the roster. And by the time you get to 2021, 2022, Here's a guy that would be ready to be to step into that number two wide receiver role. For sure. Uh, I think, you know, for me, best case scenario, and this is just thinking out loud if the Bills stay at 54, which they won't in my mock draft. So cheap plug, tune into that tomorrow. I think best case scenario um, for me at 54 would be it's tough. Um, I think. I waffle back and forth and, and I'm thinking about so many different things, but I think Chenault is a guy that really uh, pops as somebody that makes a lot of sense in that spot. Um, just because early on in the process, I mean, we were talking about, will it, would he last at 22? And, and now we're talking about it almost like a four con conclusion that, you know, he'll be there at 54. So I really like that uh, particular uh, fit there. And at 86, I think a, a guy like Logan Wilson, the linebacker out of Wyoming, that's somebody that really intrigues me at that spot because, you know, his value is skyrocketing. So he may not be there, but he's another guy that I think uh, could be interesting. Uh, let me see here. If we got any more questions, we'll put them on the board here. Hmm. This is a good, interesting one. Why don't you take this Ryan? Are there any tri players the bills would trade during the draft? Off of their current roster, I'm not sure what players they would have that they'd want to trade that would have much value. I mean, I, I think there might be some players that they would trade for. And I know Leonard Fournette's had like a, a bad rap recently. They've talked about him napping during meetings, things like that. So I think there's players they could trade for, like a, a complimentary back for a day three pick, like a, like a Leonard Fournette. But the, running down that roster in my head, I'm not sure if there is a player on the Bills roster that another team would be calling about and saying, hey, What's it going to take to get this guy in there uh, or to get them to our team? So I, I don't see anyone personally. I think that's a that's a pretty good answer. Lewis asks, what are the chances you think the Bills trade up in the second round to grab some of the late first round talents, players like Dobbins, Taylor, Diggs? And I think Diggs is a, is a really important name to bring up because I, I'm going to be really studying how the cornerbacks um, fall off the board as we move through round one. Um, you know, we're going to be actually in a live zoom call that, uh, uh hopefully Ryan, you can join me. I didn't know if you're going to be in that one, uh, but we'll, we'll be doing a big, I think it's almost going to be 70 people. So good luck, <laughs> Ryan, if you're coming in, cause I'm going to need you to help fend out, fend them all off. Um, 
But yeah, I think that I'm going to be really interested to see where these cornerbacks come off. And you you have a couple guys that are on that first round, second round borderline, like a Jalen Johnson, uh, Noah Igbenogany. I've even seen him going in the first round in some mock drafts. So the more that go, uh, the more likely that you know Stefan Diggs, uh, or um, sorry, Trevon Diggs, um, is not there. Uh, but I still think he's a first round talent. I, I respect Mel Kiper, uh, his report, uh, but I think that. It's not even going to be a consideration. I don't think he's going to last past the top 40. But like I said, there might be some other players that um, you know could drop out of that round. Uh, AJ Epinesa is one. A Denzel, I really like your Denzel Mims. I wasn't even thinking about that. And that's somebody I think fits the process mold. So I like, I like both of those. Yeah, I, I think trading up is definitely in play. I mean, I think we've seen Brendan Bean do that quite a bit. He's aggressive. He moved up twice. In 2018, he moved up last year to to get Cody Ford and to get Dawson Knox. So trading up is definitely his MO. And if there's a player that slips out of the first round that's there in the uh, early 40s that I think the Bills really like, absolutely, I could see him working the phones because, yeah, they have seven picks and, and he values draft picks. But some of those day three guys might not make this roster in 2020 based on the talent that they already have here. Uh, based on the fact that they can bring in as many undrafted free agents as they want. They can go back to the free agent pool after the draft and add some guys that way. So if they really want to, yes, he can package some of those day three picks to move up a little bit uh, with, with pick 54 and get a target that he thinks should come in and make an immediate impact. Very good stuff. Say hi. This is my man, Lucas. Hi. Hey, Lucas. You're famous. Say hi, Ryan. Hi. Who's your favorite Avenger? Um... Hulk and Hulk. Captain America. Yeah, you're the man. Do you like Ant-Man? Do you like Ant-Man? That's Ryan's favorite. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you get to stay up late in quarantine. I'll be right over because we're wrapping up. Okay, <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. This was a load of fun. Kept Ryan a little bit longer than we wanted to, but I saw so many questions kind of flying through the chat, and I wanted to uh, answer a couple of them. Uh, this was a great time, man. Uh, what do you got coming up uh, in the next couple of days that people should look out for? Yeah, I'm going to have a tracker on the draft. I know they don't have first-round pick, but starting tomorrow morning, uh, news, reports, rumors, I might take the whole AFC East in general just because the Bills don't have a first-round pick. What's out there right now, obviously, there's a report today saying the Dolphins wanted an offensive tackle early. I'm not sure I believe that whatsoever, but I'll keep you covered on the Bills and anything around the AFC East that'll be interesting. I'm going to talk a little bit about Brendan Bean possibly looking to trade up in round two of the draft and why he should be doing that. So those are two things that are on the horizon. And then obviously after the draft, pretty much as soon as that draft is over, we're going to have that undrafted free agent tracker up and running. Keep an eye on some of those players that don't get drafted that the Bills are, are adding to the roster. You're definitely going to want to follow him on Twitter. He is at Ryan Talbot Bills. I am at Matt Perino. We are going to have you covered for the next five days. Everything that happens when it comes to the NFL draft and the Buffalo Bills, we have recovered. We really appreciate you. Um, if you are here on YouTube, uh, I, we still have a, a great audience out there. Please subscribe. Uh, hit the like button on this video. Uh, it, it really helps uh, support our channel. We're trying to grow it. And also subscribe to the podcast, Bills Talk with Matt Perino. we got to work on the name, get Ryan's attached to it as well. Uh, but you can, you can find it on all the podcast podcast platforms uh you know Acast, stitcher uh apple uh it's coming to google and amazon it's on spotify now just search for it uh subscribe rate and review we're trying to get that thing off the uh off the ground and we actually have some really big plans for the podcast once uh you know shelter in place and and, and the quarantine and the coronavirus 
kind of we get a handle on all this. Uh, we were going to launch this later this year, uh, but because of the situation and and, and some of the technology uh, you know, options we found, obviously they're not always super uh, trustworthy. But we we could launch it a little bit early, so we're out, we're running. Uh, we're really enjoying uh, having these conversations and bringing them to you on all these different platforms. So we are thankful for all your support. This has been another episode of Wednesday Night Live, Bill's Talk with Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot, and we will see you next Wednesday.